0: Welcome to The inside. This is the week that the movie industry came to Las Vegas for CinemaCon. And after two years of COVID craziness, A-list directors and stars are here to meet face-to-face with cinema teams and studio leaders. They'll see movie clips and hear from actors and creative teams and leave here with the industry's game plan for blowing away fans in cinemas all over the world this year. I am Jim Chabin, and with me is our co-host for this series, Wim Byens. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and we are both here live at the Cineonic World Laser Theater at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Please welcome Wim Byens. <laughs> Wim, you've come all the way to, from Brussels and Barco headquarters and Cineonic headquarters to be here uh, what's the mood been of your customers and all the theater owners coming in for this this important CinemaCon?
1: You know, first of all, it's great to be back face to face, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that it's, uh, it's fantastic to see how many people have been, you know, subscribing to coming up. But the thing which really excites us is the fact that we really get people having a very positive mood about the industry is back. People going back to the theaters is what we hear. And that also means, and that's not unimportant for us, of course, that people want to discuss about, hey, how can we elevate my movie-going experience? How can I do so my next kind of, you know, investment? So what is the next thing to do on technology side, which is, of course, our field? And that's, I think that's a different mode than if I would take, you know, last year or the year before, you know.
0: We heard a speaker yesterday afternoon in one of your seminars here at CinemaCon. And he was a a behavioral psychologist at Northwestern University. What he said was a habit is formed over a six-week period. So if you're in the habit of going to movies, that's a habit that you develop. If you stop that habit and you're stuck at home watching streaming services, over six weeks, you form a new mental pattern that is only broken if something comes back to you in front of you and gets you out of that uh, that pattern into a new habit. And he said, you need one great experience and then you're going to need two, three, four experiences. But by that fifth experience in this new habit, you will be back into a pattern. And I feel as if the directors and and uh, NATO and uh, people like you are here to help get consumers back into that habit.
1: No, you're 100% right, right? I think that last year, uh, Spider-Man did, did... Fantastic, right? It was pre-COVID numbers at the time. And I think also beginning of this year, we have a fantastic slate already. And we're going to talk about it later, of course. But but I think that we should not underestimate what it takes to get the movie going back. So we're going to have to have as an industry fight very hard, right? To get them back, get the attention and don't take it for granted that they were there with us before COVID, right? Because we still have part of the audiences which is not joined us back. And we need to do whatever it takes to get them back. And as soon as we get them back, because that was the other thing what he said which I, I really liked on a height when the emotion is high then you have to get them to referral right then you have to get them to the next experience and the next experience and so I think we still have a way to go as an industry but I think with a slate which is coming this year we are on our way here right? well, I think if we think in terms of the kinds of people that can make people come back
0: to that theater get that habit started again people at Marvel people like Brad Pitt in his new movie bullet train uh, people like James Cameron with the, the next Avatar, Jurassic World, uh, the next Black Panther, uh, Harry Styles who blew everybody away at Coachella. His new movie is coming out from Warner Brothers this year. We saw a documentary based on the life of David Bowie. A concert movie this morning uh, presented by Neon. So I think we've got all the we've got all the powers behind it, and uh, that's why I think we've got perfect guests today. Our insiders are at the very heart of the business. They are really the heart of our business. David Leach is the director of one of this summer's most anticipated films, Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt from Sony Pictures. He's directed or produced a string of action-adventure hits, including John Wick, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, and the Fast and Furious franchise hit Hobbs and Shaw. In his earlier career, he actually served as stunt double for Brad Pitt and for Jean-Claude Van Damme. Please welcome David Leach. David, welcome.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: And here from the National Association of Theater Owners is Jackie Brenneman. She serves as Executive Vice President for NATO and also serves as General Counsel. She began her career in fine dining in Napa, California. Today, her favorite movie meal is popcorn with a side of mustard at her local Cineplex. Please welcome Jackie Brenneman. Welcome, guys. We're thrilled you're here.
1: So, Jackie, le- let me start with you, if I may, right? So, first of all, congrats for a fantastic show, getting Cinemacon on the road, right? Fantastic. Uh, and and, and what, an, what an audience, by the way. But also, what a show it's been, right? And it's great to be back in person, right? Because we're underestimating the impact of being back in person and how we need it as an industry. If we look at, at the show, what are the key themes for you? What are we trying to get across at the show this year.
3: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be on this podcast, and I'm just excited to be around all of you and with you here today. I think we can all feel the energy in the air at this CinemaCon. We are incredibly optimistic. We are excited. We feel like we are moving to the future now. We are We are back and we are ready to go. There's a lot of great movies coming up. I'm thrilled at the slate, and thank you for mentioning such a diverse slate of titles because, you know, we do love tentpoles, but we also love all kinds of different movies for different people.
0: I want to tell the people outside, listening outside of CinemaCon, that last night Sony did its big presentation and uh, took over the Coliseum for a fantastic presentation of what they thought their strongest films were of the year, and there are many, many, many. But the first person to walk out on stage and the first clip to be shown was that of David's. Uh, David, you and Bullet Train were front and center last night to open CinemaCon. And I will tell you that I was in the elevator going back to my room afterwards. And uh, there were some other people there. And I said, did you go to the, the screening? And she said, yes. I said, where are you from? She said, Plano, Texas. I said, what did, what did you see that you liked? And she said, Bullet Train. And I said, why hey, Bullet Train? <laughs> And she said, because I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan and it's been a long time since I saw a film that unlocked something in me that made me excited and completely took me out of my world. So that's pretty tall. That's pretty tall phrase, right? So, yeah.
2: Thank you, Texas.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've been a feature film director for Dwayne Johnson, Keanu Reeves, Charlize Theron, Brad Pitt, and many others. What does the big screen experience uh, provide you and your actors and your stories that other things don't?
2: Well, I mean, it provides a lot of things. I mean, number one, um, as an artist, when you create something, you want people's attention. And especially a commercial film, you want people to be engaged. And the film experience is just that. It's an experience. They take the time to go. They spend their hard-earned money. They go to a place with a lot of people and they have this really unique communal experience that we've been having for centuries um whether it was theater and now mm-hmm. cinema and um, that's what you want you want that biggest platform um and the stars that i've been fortunate to work with they deserve that platform and they actually um g- bring an audience to that platform and um it's really the only way we want to make movies and it's really the only way i want my art shown i mean it's the most
1: ideal way for it so over the last couple of years, uh, David, so we've seen a lot of experimentation happening with the cinema presentation, right? Um, in dining, uh, multiple screens, you know, all kind of different formats there. So as a filmmaker, what, is, what excites you and what do you think is, is important there? I,
2: again, like, I think all of those are interesting as long as it's bringing people together. You know, I think that the fa- and it, it, it's bringing them together in this sort of common attention. Because, you know, I think what happens when we watch things at, at home, you know, you're not fully invested in what the, the artist's message is or in, in the full creativity of the project. And so um, if it's a dining experience or if it's um, a multiple screen experience, I think all of those are valid in terms of, like, keeping this communal experience alive
1: for the theatergoer and uh, for the artists who are exhibiting in it. So, Jackie, you know, as leader of NATO there, what are the conversations around the windowing rights? And is there some consensus in the industry about that at the moment or?
3: Well, I am certainly not going to speak about individual conversations between uh, individual exhibitors and distributors, but I will say that they're having conversations. And look, I mean, I think we had pre-pandemic models, we had the pandemic models, and now we are moving past that. And what that looks like, it's we're not sure, but we're, you know, we heard, David Zasloff, say that they've looked at the data. You know, he had a year to study the business and, you know, in his acquisition of Warner Brothers. And he looked at the data and he said, the data is clear. You know, if we give a movie a real window, we put real marketing behind it, it is more valuable in, during its entire life cycle. So there is not a business proposition from his perspective to just dropping windows and just shoving a bunch of things onto streaming without that kind of release. That's what his data shows, right? He said that publicly in an earnings uh, call. So that is a very, that's a message we like to hear. I am also heartened to hear that data is is driving decision-making. And I do think that maybe that's a benefit from the pandemic is that we were able to get a lot of information uh, as an industry. And even when audiences really didn't have an opportunity be, to be back or they were afraid to come back and they had the opportunity to watch things at home. As soon as they were allowed to go see something in a theater with other human beings and feel things with other human beings, they came back in droves. I mean, to have record-breaking numbers during Omicron is a testament to the sign that movie theaters aren't just about movies as content. They are about movies as experiences, and that is eternal.
0: Do you get the sense that the customer, the, the fan base... Um, we've all moved on. We're not wearing masks. If you feel that it's important for your underlying conditions, people do. Everybody supports that. But is it a sense that the sense of fear on the the part of the public, going back to the movies, that a lot of the concerns have evaporated and people are back at their cineplexes?
3: So we have, I mean, kind of as an industry, we've been tracking uh, consumer sentiment all the way throughout the pandemic. Um, and the numbers have never been higher across all demographics, right? And so I do think that many of the sticking points, many of the issues on consumers that were less likely to come were also the consumers that not, were being told not to come, right? They were being told there aren't movies for you. And that's a confusing message. When there aren't family titles, it tells parents, well, maybe it's not safe for me to bring my children. So as soon as a studio says, we're going to give you a family title, you know, Sonic overperformed. It beat its predecessor, right? That is, that is not what you normally see. It did incredible business, and it made families now see more ads for more movies and got kids excited. I, as a just a, a small side, I have you know, I'm a, I'm a parent. I have two children. My son is four, and I, you know, LA was closed almost the whole pandemic, right? We were closed for a very long time, and the very first time you could go back and see a movie. uh, you know, we took him and I told him, oh, you're going to go see a movie in a movie theater. And he said, what's a movie theater? Because he had had a year and a half. How old at is he? Four, he's four now. But so he was, you know, two when the pandemic started. So he didn't have any movie theater memories. And I will tell you that he can tell you every single movie he's seen in a movie theater. It has watching him go from not knowing what a movie theater was to telling to being so obsessed. And now he cries because his hair is not blue like Sonic. It, it, it makes such a difference, right? That experience, I'm not lobbying him. I'm watching, and it's obvious. So um, the, once we have movies for audiences, they're coming. You know, older, older women, which means over 35, I'm offended. Um, they're coming back. They came back for Dog. Then they saw ads for Lost City. They came back for Lost City. They're going to keep coming.
0: David, uh, when, when someone thinks of uh, uh, a David Leach movie, I think there's an expectation, a good one, uh, a promise come along and we're going to have a good time, right? Yeah. Um, when you sit down with your actors and you've worked with this generation's finest and most beloved actors, when you're first sitting down with them, do you make a promise to them directly or indirectly about come, come be a part of this idea of God, this, this script? What do you, what do you, what are you asking them and what are you telling them that you're going to deliver for them as an actor in your in your film.
2: Um, well, I, thank you for saying that. I mean, I do strive to make them highly entertaining, and um, um, as some would say, and my producing partner Kelly would say, they're atonal at times in a good way. You know, like there's drama, there's comedy, there's there's stakes in the action, and all of these things, and it's a roller coaster event that um, you know a lot of uh, films can't handle. One or two of those together, and I try to put all of them in, in every in every movie, right? But when we approach the actors in the beginning, we're always like we're collaborators. There's a there's a way that I direct, and the way that we produce is that you know you need someone that comes in to take care of that character and discover the things that you're not thinking of yet. So when you work with such great talents like Brad Pitts and Keanu Reeves and the you know and the Charlize Thrones, you're like. Um, you're wanting them to bring their ideas, and you're wanting to put them into the computer of this big cinematic experience, and then you're pushing them out the other end in hopefully the most uh, um, compelling way possible. Um, and I would say we do that with all the artists that we work with. You know, I come from stunts, and so the stunt department is very uh, integral in all the decisions I'm making. You know, drama wise, comedy wise. You know, you saw the stuff from Bullet Train the other night. Um, there's they're in charge of a lot of different things. They're in charge of like getting Brad's character from A to B in a fight scene. So it's not only the collaboration with these great, you know, thespians, it's a great crew of artisans that make a movie. And it's not, you know, I'm just up here talking to you, but without that army of people and a great producer and um, it's, I wouldn't be making David Leach
0: movies. So you were coming up, you were coming up the, the ropes, as Brad Pitt's stunt double. And now you're directing him. Yeah. <laughs> does he does he ever look at you in the face and say, what are you doing here? Or uh, is, 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 uh, 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 or
2: recounting, you know, foolish stories of, uh, right. You know, like, yeah, he, there, right. I'm sure there were many times he's like, how did he make it here? He used to fall out of cars.
0: How is, uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about Brad Pitt? Uh, that, that would inform our affection for him because we love him Mm -hmm. through it all what what is it you've been at his side for for years and this is just a total fan question
2: it's just more of a a generally an incredible human being um and a great professional in, in in as a when i was a stunt double and he was an actor at that time and i won't i won't name the movies but um he was a professional then and he was at the you know you know, first one there, uh, always on, uh, always giving to the, the, the movie 110% and it's nothing's changed in his career. And I think that's why he is where he is. Um, a lot of these stars that I've been fortunate to work with, they're the same, you know, they're giving 110% and the, as uh, glamorous as their life is, they, um, they work really, really hard. And, um, his work ethic is, uh, is off the charts, and um, there's a reason why he's Brad Pitt.
0: Jackie, it seems that uh, inflation is in the news. Press release last week showed that UK streaming subscribers are cutting back on their services, uh, in in many cases down to just two or three must-have streamers, uh, probably in 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 a reaction to increased consumer costs. Netflix showed a loss last week of subscribers for the first time in 10 years. What do you think is happening economically right now?
3: Well, I, I will say, I think you know, we're in a separate business than streaming, right? And I think comparing the I think comparing the two has been a strange problem that has, I don't know, created a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? there's There's what you do at home and there's what you do in the theater. and And oddly, you know one of the things that we've been finding coming out of the pandemic, is consumers are more likely to be spending more at the theater, right? They're, they're going to the bigger formats. They're spending more on concessions. They're valuing it even more. So, you know, the, I think it's very important. I think Wall Street's starting to say that that some of these at-home options need to show that they are a, a business that's based on profit and loss, and that's going to happen. But our industry is well-established. We've already shown that we can be profitable, and we've shown That when we are challenged, I mean, so many, I can't even tell you the number of theater owners that I, that went through the worst time of their lives and they did not quit. They came back. They are, they are fighting. They are, they are ready to go and they are, they they interact with their community. They know those people better than anyone else. And that is a value that I think movie theaters have always kind of been recession proof, inflation proof. And I think we're going to show that as well.
1: So, David, when you release your films, you know what kind of technical innovation are you looking forward to? What's important for you in building a movie?
2: In terms of production, you know, it's there's there's always innovations in sort of the camera equipment we're using, and sort of the uh, the stunt um, and special effects equipment we're using for the big action sequences, the visual effects. You know, on Bullet Train, we used um, some virtual production elements that were really, really interesting and compelling. That you know really streamlined our post. But in terms of like the exhibition, I think it's like getting to the audience to see it in the highest quality and the and the and the best quality they can see it in all the locations around the world. And like keep stepping that up. You know, I think um, filmmakers like myself. You know, you you you're you're color correcting this movie and you see it one way and you want it to be that way and you want to really present your art in this final image and when we can have sort of this the strongest projectors and the strongest imagery in theaters it just gives you comfort that um people are seeing what you've created the way you want to see it and that's you know i think that's where we want theaters to go at least that's what i'm hoping for more technology in
1: that there was recently of course last week the press release of AMC right making mm-hmm. a big you know commitment i would say of uh, upgrading replacing of you know, 3000 of their 500 projectors domestically so how do you look at that is that something you're saying yes now we you know there's going to be more moviegoers going to come because you know th- there's investment in the presentation you know experience so how do you how do you see well, that I from- hope I mean I hope so I mean I think that anytime like we were talking
2: earlier you upgrade the experience people are going to want to go right and um, you know there, the, the high resolution that you can watch things at home it's always going to be, it's kind of apples to oranges anyway, right? You know, I think the strong part of the cinematic experience is what we've all been talking about. It's just the communal, it's communal and it's an experience. But I think the technical advances are only going to help. And I think we should be striving for that.
0: When you announced, or Adam Aaron at AMC announced, you are equipping how many of his theaters?
1: Well, 3,500.
0: With brand new uh Series laser projectors, yeah. laser projectors. And I think it's fascinating because here we are talking about you have that f- chance to make the first impression. You get people back. I saw everything everywhere all at once uh, the other day. Crowd loved it. I can't imagine seeing that movie on a smaller screen with with the sound and the and the size of the screen. Um, are, are the cinema owners upscaling into these projection and sound systems to make sure that we give uh, movie fans something they just will be blown away by.
1: Yeah, I think that's and we see this even more right if I take CinemaCon this year And again CinemaCon is not done yet, right? We we only half there but w- when I listen to conversations we're having people Realize more and more that it's about the experience by the way and the experience is everything right It's when you when you get into the parking lot when you get into the lobby when you know you get into your seat and but of course then is whoops the experience right the sound and and the visuals and so they realize that if they want to get people out of the home, and I like, you know, what you said, Jackie. It's it's a different, you know, it's a different experience, and maybe two categories where maybe the production of content goes to streaming or goes to the theater, but it's fundamentally two different experiences. One is an out-of-home enjoyment, and the other one is is on the couch at home, right? And they're just different. But people realize if you want to get people out of the couch, you're gonna to have to do something special. And I think what um, the latest, you know, blockbusters, but also the box office, which is rising, and you know, still a way to go, of course. Is helping exhibitors to, to see room for investments, and I think the the decision of AMC to you know announce, hey, we're gonna you know make a big step and 3,500 screens gonna be upgraded to laser technology, is about their commitment to that, and they're doing that because they see a business reason in that. They believe they're gonna get more people to the theater of that, and they need to invest in that experience. So, and th- if we, ha- we have that conversation with multiple exhibitors. So everybody has it on top of mind. What does it take for me? For me? You know, we got Avatar coming up. We got other movies coming up. How can I take the most advantage of that in the sense of attracting people to the theater and really show this stunning, you know, how it was intended, uh, movie uh, on the screen? And I think that that's much more on the on the agenda today than a year ago. Yeah.
0: David, we saw uh, the first fifteen minutes probably of Bullet Train mm-hmm. last night. Tell our audience that that wasn't there to see it. Tell us a little bit about Bullet Train.
2: Uh, Bullet Train is um, an sort of action thriller with a highly comedic edge and it's about um uh a group of uh, eccentric assassins that all arrive on a bullet train in tokyo with um competing agendas but they're all sort of linked and they soon find out that um you know you they ultimately all find out that you can't control your fate and that somehow we're all connected it's a broad big colorful movie with uh, incredible actors like Brad Pitt and um, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry and Joey King and Hiroyuki Sonata and uh, Andrew Koji and Michael Shannon and uh, Bad Bunny like it's so many great people that we got to come out and play and there's some incredible action and fight scenes and um, just going back to like the reason to why we want to make things for the cinema action just plays better on the big screen. You want to see the things come at you. You want to see them fly past you. You can watch it at home, and it's there's, It'll never feel the same as it when you have a big, you know, Hollywood blockbuster action movie on the big screen. And so uh, there's some of that in
1: in Bullet Train as well. Jackie, as you know, the amazing content slate which is ahead of us this year, right? And the moviegoers uh, going back to the theater, we see that in the box office numbers here. What are your members asking for, you know, to capitalize on people returning back to cinemas?
3: So I'm going to use this as a segue into the Cinema Foundation. Um, (laughs) So as we're coming out of the, you know, out of the pandemic, there really is all of a sudden a renewed optimism and desire to innovate and collaborate. Um, You know, it was very clear that we are an industry that is not exhibition, right? It is There's just so many people, just as you said, it takes so many people to make one of your movies. All of those people are part of the theatrical experience too. We need all of you. We need all of you that are making incredible investments in the technology that you're bringing to our, to our members. what we really want to know is who are our guests, you know, how do we get them back and how do we, as we're bringing them back, make sure that they're having an amazing experience and bring back bring in new employees and make them understand that they're connected to something really special. So, we decided kind of with all of those thoughts in mind to develop a cinema foundation. And the cinema foundation is not just exhibition. It is everyone that is part of the ecosystem is going to have a seat at the table. And we are trying to do quite a lot of things. You know, we're work- we're making investments on cinema careers, education and diversity. We're working on really partnering with the creative community and doing an industry promotion. We're also developing two think tanks, one on innovation. And innovation, you think of all of the different ways that we can understand who we are and why we're special, right? You know, is it the technology that brings people to the theaters? Is it the seating? Is it some of both, is it the food? Is it the way we communicate with our customers? Um, lo- t- really learning about our business and how to, to know it better and expand it better. And then at the same time, working with all of the technology companies, filmmakers and exhibitors and, and distributors and other content providers and getting in a room together and understanding how do we make the technology of the future the right the, ma- match all of those those innovations. And then throughout all of that, backing it up with real data and research. So bringing numbers to the table, um, speaking with numbers and studies, and, and then also, of course, a, a charitable arm of that as well. So we're, we're figuring it out. Our okay. members want to know how, how they can help.
0: David, we, we, uh, we have heard from people that kind of surprised us, but senior studio leadership or filmmakers who actually slip into movie theaters to watch their own films in front of an audience on a weekend. Do you ever do that?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> when the movie's released, I think it's it's fun to just, again, that's why you make it right. You know, uh, it's for this communal experience and you want to make sure that it's working. And, and, and there is sort of the charge as an artist to really feel the emotional, visceral response from the audience. And um, that's what, you know, especially with comedy and action, it's pretty um, empirical, people will ooh and awe at the action and they'll laugh at the comedy and it, um, and maybe it's like a stand-up comedian who wants to hear if their jokes are working or whatever, but you want to see, you want to feel their energy and so, yeah, I think it's good. It, I definitely sneak in and see it once.
1: So, David, on, on the, the bullet train, right, it was based on a Japanese book from 2010, right, which really being about uh, the wider reach and source material, right, do you see any trends how you reach out to those other creative sources for, um, for those materials?
2: Well, I mean, I think that the world has obviously shrunk in, in that respect in terms of like um, the way that people are consuming all of you know j- anime or animation or uh, novels and um, things can go international very quickly and we can find material from um, all over the world and um, and then make it our own. Within sort of this, within this space of like you know the action thriller space, or take it from one country where it was really popular, and make it global, you know like we did with Bullet Train. So um, yeah, I think it's like the world has kind of gotten smaller, and that we we go to all sort of all cultures and all ends of the world to find great material and great stories, and and try and find ways to tell them and reach more people.
3: Can I just throw in something here too? Um- You know, I think that this is such a positive development because what we see is our audiences are really diverse. And for so long, the green lighting decisions seem to be based, and I mean, I'm sure they still are, on, you know, a a series of of comps, right? And I feel like the comps can end up being limiting, right? Because you, you think that you therefore need to keep, like, four white guys in a movie. And then, you know, you think you know who your audience is because you're, you're creating things for one specific audience. And as studios started to diversify who they put on camera, the audiences responded an insane amount. Right. And so I think that there's now more trust in going to outside source material and feeling like we can be more flexible in what we're comping to. Like we can comp much more to theme than to the race of someone in a movie or the, the, the country of origin and feel more confident that audiences these days aren't so limited and they're not so boxed in when Uh they're thinking.
2: Yeah. And I think if you look at some of the, the, you know, the, the casting choices, especially in bullet train quickly, like you saw a really beautiful palette of people in the first 10 minutes of that movie. And, um, that's just something that we take to heart as filmmakers and sort of like to show the world that way.
0: There are mergers and acquisitions going on in Hollywood with uh, Discovery and Warner Brothers and Amazon buying MGM. Question for you, Jackie and and, and Wimp, do you see more mergers and acquisitions as far as the theater owners? Are we going to see fewer owners or do you think that uh, we've made it through this tough time and and, uh, you don't see a lot of activity on that front?
3: Well, I mean, I don't see the kind of mergers and acquisitions that are based on everyone lost out in the pandemic and they're desperate. I I certainly would assume that things will change as they have the entire history of this industry. So it would be naive for me to think that there won't be any changes. Um, You know, new companies coming in. I mean, I'm very heartened to see, you know, new, young companies that started in the pandemic, people who felt like this is a sector I want to be involved in more than ever. So I think we're going to get new entrants and maybe they'll get big and they'll buy up some of their competitors, but we're not seeing any kind of panic-based mergers and acquisitions, it's it's all exciting. and. What
1: I see is it's much more numbers-based these days, right? I think people doing acquisitions, there are definitely, you know, especially some of the mid-tiers which saying, hey, we want to, you know, uh, get bigger, right? And, and want to get more scale. Um, but I think they're selective, right? They, they really do their homework well, and they, they make sure that they know what they're buying. Uh, and I think that's that's probably pandemic has learned it, right? So you need to keep on being, you know, uh, running your company and being an entrepreneur, but at the same token, you want to make sure that, that you got your numbers uh, in place, so.
3: Yeah, and I do think that some of the new news, um, like especially things like what David Zaslav said, I think a lot of that will also help lenders feel more comfortable. Being in this space um, and investors feel more comfortable being in this space, so I do think um, that kind of optimism will probably fuel some some changes too.
0: David uh, Bill Gerber, who was producing the new David Bowie uh, biopic, um, basically said, "No one makes a movie hoping someday it'll be shown on an iPhone." <laughs> uh, when you go out to a movie, what what's your format of choice? What do you like? Do you like the large formats? Do you like what, what kind of a movie theater experience I do you am, like? I
2: mean, I do really love the large formats. But um, again, I think it's more of the, the experience with the people. And I think it can be all, all of them are work because I think, oh, I mean, you were saying that there's a lot more interest in the large formats right now. People are going to the sort of higher tech sort of venues. But for me, again, it's like there's something really great about the local theater in middle America that is still trying to upgrade their system but um, has a great fan base and an audience that is being serviced by local theater owners who love their their constituents so well, so much customers. of that
3: could also be because the t- movies that were coming out were being geared toward an audience that was younger men who are the more confident ones to come out and so they were these bigger movies and so that could be you know, yeah. that it could be of that, too. So I don't know about the tickets for everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> I, that's not really playing in a lot of PLFs. So, right. um, you know, it is...
2: Say, like, the large format, for me, obviously, like I said before, as a filmmaker, that's how you want to see it. That's how I want people to see Bullet Train, for sure.
1: I want to add to that, right? So I think we need all those screens, right, to that point. So I think that every screen needs to be great kind of thing, but we need a lot of screens because I think yeah. the communal thing, we want people to go to the theater, not just to a few theaters, but to go to a, to a larger extent, right? So to your point, I think it's very important. We keep as a, as a broader industry, uh, get everybody up to that, and, and those experiences needs to be good. And of course, you got the special experiences, great, but you want to make sure that we, we keep that broad base. I think that's, yeah. You know. David, name a movie in the last year that you just loved. Just, just. Oh my god,
2: um, now, now you put me on the spot, and I'm going to. Um... Name two. <laughs>
3: who are you going to piss Jackie. off Jackie oh I can name a million um, well I, I saw um, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent I'm a huge Nick Cage fan so and I was like good. that movie was made for me good. loved it loved it okay Lost City also that was a Jackie okay. movie
1: okay Wim well you know the last one I saw was Fantastic Beast. was right? stunning you know Yeah. alright I would say Dune
0: Dune struck me as a movie that I thought I was going to another world and I was in a movie theater and I thought I wouldn't get this at home, right? So uh, thank you, Jackie. Thank you, David. We close with a comment made by Viola Davis last night on stage at the Coliseum. When she came out to talk about her new film, Woman King, she got a standing ovation, which is relatively rare, rarely given at CinemaCon. It was given to her. And she said, there are five words I do not wish to take to the grave. I was not brave enough. Thank you, David Leach. Thank you, Jackie Brennerman. Thank, thank you. you, Wim. And thank you, CinemaCon.
2: Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs>